Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrences. Concurrences is the leading antitrust database with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrences is also the largest network of antitrust experts with lawyers, economists, enforcers, and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news thanks to our guests, the best experts in the antitrust world. Hello and welcome to this episode of Concurrence Antitrust Code podcast. Today we're going to be talking to Marshall van Alstein, Questum Chair Professor at Boston University. The title of today's topic is Good Ideas and Bad Ideas for Regulation. Thank you very much, Marshall, for being here. Now, it's often said that a good law can really improve things, but a bad law can really make things a lot worse. Where do you stand on deciding when it's right to regulate and when we should maybe be a little bit slower in bringing in regulation? Well, I think it's a wonderful set of questions. I think there's some good laws and bad laws, and I've seen both of them on the books. Um, let me do preface my remarks up front. Just, I'm actually not taking money from either side, so I'd like to present my views as an academic neutral uh, on some of these issues. So I do think that we're seeing an awful lot of um, responses to legitimate grievances. So uh, up front, I do see, for example, that Amazon using data to enter its partners' markets, uh, that's a challenge, or Google bidding against its partners when it has privileged assets. Again, that is a legitimate challenge. I do think there are grievances that we need to pay attention to. But at its core, I think one of the key differences is that the uh, prior antitrust laws were designed for an earlier era of rival assets, of tangible goods. So if you look at railroads or if you look at uh, energy or oil in the traditional antitrust context, if you're using a railroad car or a track or you're burning a barrel of oil or you're consuming a lot of energy, someone else cannot. So often we'll try to create competition by dividing up those assets and putting them against one another. In the internet era, it's different. Here we're talking about data, we're talking about information. It's a non-rival asset. You and I can both have it. And so carving it up often actually is not necessarily a good idea. The express goal of the current legislation and things such as the Digital Millennium, uh, sorry, the Digital uh, Markets Act is to create contestable markets, to create competition. If the implication is that we are then dividing those assets, we're then splitting up firms, then we're losing much of the value that we might get from network effects, much of the value that we're getting from data. I think we need to ask the question differently. The question we should be asking is how do we create value and then how do we foster the innovation and divide that value so that consumers get a greater share of it or ecosystem partners get a greater share of it. So I think we need to reposition the laws relative to where they're currently headed. Well, one of the big laws on that here in Europe is the Digital Markets Act, which is currently being thrashed out. We're maybe going to see it coming into force at the beginning of 2023, but we still don't know what it will look like. So I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on questions around using data for market adjacent services. Oh, wonderful question. So using data to leverage uh, entry into different markets and also create value in other areas overall is a wonderful thing. To give you an example in the United States, uh, you know, Amazon, of course, is an interesting electronic commerce company or in cloud services company, but they're also starting to leverage their data to enter healthcare and the margins in that are enormous and extremely expensive. So 
Amazon's entry into healthcare is likely to bring about far better services and prices and lower margins. So that's actually in effect a good thing overall. Let's back up a moment and consider what's happening in the Digital Markets Act. There's some things that are really well done. So I think there are several uh, tenets of the act that are really cleverly uh, designed. So one of them is limiting, uh, limiting most favored nation clauses. So uh, it says the platform has to get the best terms of anybody, otherwise you can't use the platform. So limiting that is a good idea. Another one is ad response transparency. Uh, when you run ads on there, you can't get responsiveness of your own advertisements or merchants are being disintermediated from their own data. That's just not fair. Those are legitimate uh, grievances or we have to allow for interoperability. Again, all excellent ideas. But let's take some of the things where I think the legislation is off the rails. So one of them is that you can't use data to enter uh, your partner's markets. We actually, in any other context, welcome market entry. So you're getting better prices, you're getting, getting better competition. Here, it's the unfairness. So what we should do is allow others to enter under the same terms. So perhaps it's better that with a delay, other competing companies would gain access to market level data and allow them to enter so that it's not just the market maker that's entering, but lots of different parties would gain access to the same data in order that they too could create consumer value and enter and give us new kinds of innovation. Separately, we actually see a bit of that in Payment Services Directive 2 in open banking. Banks are now required to uh, open APIs to let third parties in to conduct transactions. And we're seeing new transactions, we're seeing new fintechs arise. It's that kind of innovation that we'd like to foster. So rather than forbidding use of that data to enter, we want to make it available for others so that they too can enter. I'll give you another example. Data portability is being used as a way to create privacy and to perhaps create competition. Data portability is one of the um, main mechanisms that's been pro pro uh, provided in GDPR, General Data Privacy uh, uh, Regulation. It's also been emphasized in the uh, Digital Markets Act. This has a huge variety of problems. The first is that when you take data away from the marketplace, it loses context. It was a great set of research that was done by the folks at the Programmable Web trying to take data out of Facebook. You can get your own data, but you can't get the posts of other people around it. That's their data, so you lose the context. Another is that it stagnates, so you, you lose access to the recent data. Uh, another element is um, you get a problem with impotence. You, once the data is removed from its platform, you can't use it to make a post, to make a purchase, or to receive a benefit. So you can't use it or act upon it in some way. And the last one is a phenomenon that the regulators just haven't anticipated. So for example, you get moral hazard. The idea behind the, the, the legitimate idea is to create more competition where merchants could pull their data off of someplace like Amazon and take their ratings with them to foster competition. But what's this do? Well, merchants gain control of their data and they drop their low ratings and all of a sudden they, everyone looks like a five star and it increases the risk to consumers. So they've introduced moral hazard when you do that. We actually think that there's a better way to do this, taking advantage of the properties of data to increase value. So we're proposing a new data right as a new way to actually solve this problem. So here's how this might work. Users would gain the right to allow third parties to access their data and create value on their behalf. What does this do? Well, the first is, it creates it pre and preserves all of the context. So 
Amazon could come in and make recommendations for books on your Facebook data, or Facebook could make recommendations for friends based on your reading, as an example. Another is its potency. Because you're still using it in its location, you can use it to make a purchase or make a post or receive a benefit from someone else. And it also solves the moral hazard problem. Merchants can't simply delete their one and two star reviews and upload them in a new location. There's one last component of this that I really like, which is it enables regulators to actually do monitoring of the platforms themselves. Consider what happens when, um, you know, there's actually, let me back up. There was a wonderful study, it was done one in Germany and one in uh, New York University, where users had granted permission for, um, to, for these researchers to access their Facebook accounts and see what misinformation, what ads they're being dis displaying. Facebook turned off those APIs. They didn't want the scrutiny. They claimed that was providing the private data of advertisers. Despite a scolding from the Federal Trade Commission, they continued in that particular practice. If we grant users an in-situ data right, that means you can grant permission to allow analysis of the data that you're seeing so you can get better informed on what you're seeing. We think this is a new way of designing this regulation in a way that third parties can create value on top of the data, just like the original firm and create further access. Um, so we think there are better ways of designing the legislation to capture the benefits of the data and address the problems that we see uh, in the background. Well, you made reference to their uh, behavioral advertising or data-driven advertising. There is a bit of talk or at least a bit of speculation in the EU that maybe that is a sector that requires its own separate sectoral regulation. Do you have an opinion on that? Because it is a sort of a unique issue that brings together so many elements of other things, like you mentioned, privacy, GDPR or services and platform regulation. I have mixed feelings about that. Um, in particular, I worry a little bit that we wind up um, designing legislation that's specific to a point in time. And as technology evolves and business models evolve, uh, they don't really address the fundamental issues. By analogy, I like to describe it as adding epicycles to a geocentric universe, as opposed to looking for a deeper theory and finding a heliocentric universe that suddenly explains everything much better. So personally, I prefer to try to look for the deeper principles from which you can actually design better business models or better regulatory interventions, or shall we say transparency. A, to give you an example, a mechanism might be allowing sufficient transparency and interoperability that competitors can keep an eye on each other without having the regulators forcing to, uh, them to go open and crack open the systems and develop their expertise on their own. Um, the competition among the firms will naturally lead them to reveal the problems from which they can then themselves appeal rather than having the regulators do that work. So in general, I favor the deeper solutions that try to address the more fundamental problems rather than ad hoc legislation uh, that's just in the moment um, and see if we can find something for the long term. Well, again, picking up on this question of interoperability, transparency, another big driving force that we're seeing here is this idea of trying to leverage industrial data. I think the, the EU very much feels it's missed the boat on a lot of these customer facing social network type services. And now there's an effort to try and maybe get industry 4.0, this manufacturing data, but also open data and make it more interoperable. 
do you see any resistance to that? What's your feeling on that? Do you think that it's it's going to actually work as is envisaged? Um, if yes, why? And if not, why not? There seems to be huge opportunity here. And particularly as you get to machine data or you get the internet of things, it may be less concerning on privacy if what you're looking at is the, um, you know, the uh, temperature settings or light switches uh, among machines. Uh, so you don't have as much just personally descriptive data. So I think uh, there's more opportunity here. I also do think that we're going to see more of the platforms moving into the B2B space when previously we've seen it in the B2C space. And firms are in much better position to bargain amongst themselves in the B2B level than they are in the B2C level, where the platform is far more powerful than the individual. I think there's enormous opportunity here. I do expect to see more growth, and I do think that uh, proper legislation can facilitate that growth. Again, I think the question must be, how is it that you can create the ecosystems for joint use of that data, for interoperable access to that data? and for competitive uh, transparency for being um, gaining uh, fair and uh, equal access to that data. So, so those, I think, are the, the opportunities. And I do think they're immense, both in Europe and, uh, um, and even in the East, uh, even in China as well. Well, I know I didn't want to focus too much on enforcement per se, but I do want to ask a little bit about the question of, if you like, enforcement across countries, transatlantic, so many of these big uh, actors that we've seen are in the US. Europe is here trying to create these markets and these, uh, these, these new sort of competition rules as well as consumer rules and privacy rules. Is there a tension between all this different regulation in terms of how you go about making it work together and implementing it? So it's quite interesting. I do believe that there are tensions coming from multiple sides. Uh, and by here, I mean, really do mean multiple sides. So in Europe, where there are fewer native platforms, the tension seems to be coming more from the consumers and from the businesses that are affected by platforms uh, themselves. Um, in the United States, I think we're seeing more resistance from the platforms. They have a little bit more power, more uh, lobbying, and they are native to the United States, but I think they're getting more influence. And then contrast that with China, where you get a different actor the state government is now quite active in regulating those platforms in ways that are even more aggressive than in Europe. Uh, and they have then uh, used them as mechanisms for increasing visibility of the government into the lives of the citizens. That's a quite interesting set of trade-offs. So you're getting different perspectives from different continents, uh, if you will. Um, and I do think we're going to see different balances uh, and different experiments. Um, you know, I think. Americans in some ways are a little late to the party in platform regulation. Uh, I do think there's a, perhaps a bit of uh, nativist perceptions in Europe about trying to protect the, uh, the consumers relative to the platforms and foster some uh, platforms, legitimate concerns there. Um, but I think in, in some cases, again, frictions have been added in ways that may harm the ecosystems. Uh, as mentioned, GDPR reduced venture capital investment. It reduced ad effectiveness. It actually reduced the number of apps available um, uh, available to different parties. Um, at the same time, in the United States, there is too much invasion of privacy. We have Cambridge Analytica. There is not sufficient regulation. There's too much fake news. There are disasters uh, lurking in electoral problems. And those also need to be addressed. Um, so where are the pressures coming from? 
I, th I think we're seeing different pressures from different continents and uh, we're going to need to come, as I would say earlier, to some deeper principles to regulate platforms in the right way. With this Digital Markets Act, the EU is trying to lead the way globally. It feels it could have the same ripple effects as the GDPR, which was indeed used as a template for privacy laws around the world, and even, even the California law. Do you see that the EU might be a place where this, the focus is on the regulation, whereas in other parts of the world, the focus is on, to use Mark Zuckerberg's words, move fast and break things? <laughs> well, he's certainly been moving fast and breaking things. Uh, so uh, there's there's a time when it's actually uh, worthy to regulate. And indeed, Zuckerberg himself has said it's time to get some guidance from governments uh, on different kinds of regulation, in particular such things uh, as fake news. Um, I think the Europeans are leading the way uh, in this. Uh, as one example, one of my favorite uh, illustrations really is the open banking legislation that we're seeing coming out of Brussels and out of separately out of the UK. Uh, in that instance, the, uh, it has been a case where creating opportunity for third parties to come in and access the platform infrastructure and to access the data has allowed third parties to create value, which is exactly what I was talking about in the beginning but trying to create, find new ways to create value, not simply try to create new competition. Data is a non-rival resource. We can all do is to have it under the right terms. Even the transaction that's a credit card, well, the merchant has it and the consumer has it because it's a two-way, it's a two-party investment. And so we need to allow both parties to make the best use of it. Uh, and we also need to find ways to reduce the market power of the center of the platforms in order that more of that value is shared back. Again, I think Europeans are leading in that. Um, and uh, I think we can use, we can learn from the positive examples as well as the negative examples from open banking as well as GDPR. Thank you very much, Marshall. Do join me again next time for the Concurrence Antitrust Code podcast. You listen to an episode of Antitrust Code by Concurrences. If you want to read more about this topic, check the Concurrences website, where you can find all relevant articles. Follow us on Twitter at Competition Loss and join the Concurrences group on LinkedIn to receive updates on our next podcast.